0: I'm sorry, I hold my hands up. I was naive to bet on Ferrari. But were you making the same mistake as well, Kanal? earlier this year? I mean, I genuinely thought that they couldn't drop the ball, but they have done it once again. And now I'm actually astounded to know that Ferrari are closer to Mercedes in the constructors than they are to Red Bull Racing. (laughs) How do we even bring it up this way? I mean, Verstappen has closed up a point gap of 46 points so far this year, but Leclerc now has to do 63 I mean, this just looks like an uphill task and I just think that the championship is somewhat over. I mean, I know I'm being a bit too pessimistic,
1: but this just can't be this just can't be right, can it? It well, I'll tell you the match that that is actually right. Forty six points the deficit that Max Verstappen had after the first three races, and now he's got a sixty three points advantage. So he has had a swing of 99 points on Charles Leclerc in 12 races, right? And that is, well, what? About eight uh, eight points per race, if one may put it that way, which typically means that Max has literally won every race and Charles has finished second, and this is where they find themselves, right? Or thereabouts. But, you know, it's, uh, it's incredible that we are even talking about a title battle. Yes, we are hopeful. It's wishful thinking. Uh, you know, a, a wishful thinking was a term that I heard Toto Wolf say several times this weekend. So I can say it at least once in the review show. But it's now soon going to be a case of, hey, how many laps uh, or how many races before the end of the season will Max Verstappen clinch his second world title in a car that's not the quickest and in a car that's not the most reliable one, Sommel. It can only happen when you're competing against Ferrari. It can only be
0: that case. But... I'm just as surprised about their disappointing performance this weekend as I am about the fact that I haven't quite introduced who we are and what we do. So folks, this is the Inside Line F1 podcast. This is the French GP Review. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And the voice that you heard speaking with me was Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of Force India, who now, of course, works as an FIA-accredited F1 journalist for the We're Play group. And the point has been made. We just don't know what to do with it. And uh, you're right, Kunal. It's it's wishful thinking. I I don't know. I just get a feeling of those mid-2010 years when we had... uh, Early 2010 years where we had Sebastian Vettel... Comfortably dominating, but you saw just brief glimpses from Ferrari here and there, but never something concrete. And it's just the anti-2012 where Ferrari had the worst car, but they had a great driver pushing them forward. But now they have a great car and it's still themselves holding them back. So what
1: is it? What other factor can come in and hold them back? We shall discuss that later on in the episode. But the other naive thing that I believe every single person did, maybe apart from Mercedes, was assuming that Mercedes would be in the battle for the win, and we'll have six cars in the you know race fight. I I, I admit I was one of them who hyped that up as well. But hey, all the pre race uh, data, all the pre race factors that one would actually pick to make such an assumption were in place, right? So. Mercedes as well yes they got a 2-3 their best ever result in 2022 it was the first time Max and Lewis shared a podium after 2012 or 2021 Abu Dhabi you guys know what race I'm talking about but yes there was a lot of wishful thinking with that whole will Mercedes join the you know Ferrari and Red Bull and battle for the race win in France the circuit is high speed smooth etc etc and But, Samuel, the most naive thing, yes, you still bet on a Carlos Sainz win. I'm sure you're going to do that for Hungary as well.
0: (laughs) Oh, come on. I I actually didn't know that he was going to take the grid penalty. But you know what? Let's actually discuss Ferrari and their interesting race weekend in a second. But first, we should be back after a small break. Hey, folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast. This is our French Grand Prix review. And we were talking about Carlos Sainz. But before we go there for a second, there's this big question in my mind. And I'm sure that's the question that everyone will be wanting to know. And unfortunately, we can't quite tell at this stage. But could Charles Leclerc have won had he not crashed? But first, I should tell you why he crashed. I think we, we just take Formula 1 too seriously, Kunal. We just focus too much on oh throttle pedal issues or the gust of wind that came in or downforce. He just got confused by the stripes. Just get rid of the stripes. Ferrari will win once again. It's, it's as clear as that.
1: <laughs> he wanted to drive a red car over the red stripes and little oh. did he know he'd actually find one of those barriers. Sorry, that was a bad one. But but in all seriousness, Samuel, I literally loved what Charles Leclerc was doing all the way till he actually crashed. He, again came into another race he needed to get pole he needed to get win he needed to keep max verstappen at bay he did all of that and i loved those you know opening uh, battles that we saw although it was barely a battle it was you know max trying to chase down leclerc and what, what i actually loved about that was you know uh, while red bull have been developing the floor of their car to keep going quicker Ferrari are actually bringing incremental, uh, you know, gains uh, to their car, like you know the new rear wing. And had it been, say, five or seven races ago, Max's powerful rear wing and DRS would have just made him drive past Charles Leclerc. But given Ferrari's upgrades, given that they are making sure they are responding to their weaknesses against Red Bull, especially on the car side of things, Charles was able to stay. Ahead of Max, and you know that Delta was, you know, if if Max was anything uh, more than six to seven tenths behind uh, Charles, you know, he was of course getting DRS and he would get closer with the DRS, but they were very well matched in straight line speeds where Max couldn't overtake Charles. But then what happened was, you know, Red Bull called Max Verstappen in. His tires were short. They tried to do the same thing that they did to Lewis Hamilton last year, you know, uh, which was undercut him. And had Charles pit the next lap, he would have been undercut. He would have lost the lead of the race. So what he had to do was stay out, do as quick laps as possible, and then hope that when he hits his pit window, you know, eight or eight or 10 laps after max, he still comes out with fresher tires to attack for later, right? So that was where the scenario was. And he spun because in, you know, this is another thing I love about Charles. He just said, hey, driver error, it was my error. And if I keep making these errors, I do not deserve to win the title. Where else will you find a more honest driver? Seriously, that's amazing the
0: way he's actually come out. And he did such a great job at the start, as you rightly mentioned. So much so that I was actually confused whether it was just the new cars not performing effectively. Because it was at that stage of the race where we saw Sergio Perez also dropping back down from Lewis Hamilton and Russell backing off a little bit. So I thought, oh, well, this could just be the cars not performing properly. But as it turns out, it was indeed Leclerc and Ferrari doing an incredible job. And in a way, Kunal, they had to do that because Red Bull Racing were quietly confident about their ability to to just, you know, manage their position with their incredible straight line speed, but they just could not get past, which is, again, Ferrari doing a brilliant job for a change uh, until we actually got to the point where it unraveled. But it's crazy how the race is working. And also, I doubt that he would have won it because... Uh with the track conditions being incredibly difficult and with the tyres having to go through so much at the very end, with a lot of heat in the track temperature, of course, we, it could have been unlikely that Leclerc would have been able to keep on a one-stop. Of course, the safety car came in midway through and completely changed the dynamic. But had it not been the case, a one-stopper would have been hard to hard to execute, as we shall discuss with Carlos Sainz later on. But you've got to give credit to the Pirelli tyres
1: at the end for the way they held out. The Pirelli tires were actually my 8th sleep performers of the race, on pole position, because what we saw Max do to Charles, and I'm just talking of the lead battle here, in my view, I think they were able to follow each other, right, better than what would have been. I mean, imagine this. You said about the heat, about track temperatures, air temperatures. Had it been last year's tires, just to put it in perspective here, drivers would have actually gone into extreme tire management mode and that's when we've seen races become extremely boring including uh, a few you know French Grand Prix of the past up before uh, 2021 so I think 2019 was actually one of the most boring French GP races I remember right so I'm very glad that the Pirelli tires held up uh, while the drivers were engaged in battle and through the heat and that's why I will choose them for my eighth sleep performer of the race right but the other point that I will counter I believe Charles had the pace to win. I believe Ferrari were going to have the strategy to win again. And Matteo Binotto, of course, he is supposed to sound positive about everything that happened, given that it was Ferrari. He actually said post-race that in the first 15 laps, the tyre degradation that they saw versus Verstappen in the Red Bull, gave them enough belief that they should stick to their strategy to pit later and then attack Max on fresher tyres and go for the win of the race. So he was pretty positive that they would have won anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. But the fact is, we can't quite tell at this stage, which means that Hungary is going to be all the more exciting because we get the answer To a similar question like that, of course, Hungary different in characteristics should be fun. But I think we should talk about Hungary more when we preview that particular race. And that should also happen in a couple of days. So, be right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast. But Leclerc now, three retirements in 2022, all from pole position. He retired from the lead in all three. And Verstappen ended up winning each of them with Russell coming in third in all of them as well. The stat courtesy of F1 stats guru Sundaram. And he just keeps on coming up with bangers like this one. And it's true. Leclerc, he's lost so many points from pole. And we can't tell that if this one was a win-lost or a second-place lost. But, yeah, tough, tough weekend.
1: Very tough. And you said three retirements from pole, which is true. Also, the second driver error in just 12 races this season. We saw that error in Imola where he spun while chasing uh, Sergio Perez for a podium place and now we saw the driver error here in in France right and typically in the world of motorsport and I'm talking of you know since the ages there was there was always this thing of you're allowed one mistake in a championship season and Leclerc has already made two of them right and you know it's not that I sound pessimistic I would love to see Charles take the fight To max, right? But for that to happen, there need to be two things that need to happen, which has not happened till date in 2022. First, Ferrari and Leclerc need to deliver perfect races throughout, not a single race that they can slip up, right? So they need to bring in that robust consistency. Uh, you know, in terms of pace, in terms of performance, in terms of strategy and driver errors, just do that. They've not done that yet. And the second thing is for Max to then have a few DNFs or retirements or a few low-scoring races, right? And that's also not happened as consistently since 2021, if I was to put it that way, right? So for for the title battle to actually become a title battle <laughs> that we're all hoping for, a lot More is needed from Ferrari and Leclerc Samuel.
0: Actually, I'm so glad you mentioned how consistent Max has also uh, been so far this year, because my word, he's actually gone up to, correct me if I'm wrong, 27 Grand Prix wins. Now, isn't that two more than Nicky Lauda, if I'm not mistaken, once again? And I know that having a longer calendar helps. And I know that, of course, being in a, in a safer era of Formula One where you don't get injured so often also helps. But my word, this guy is so, so consistent. He just, I don't remember him making a mistake for a long, long time. In a critical situation in a race, that is. So yeah, full marks to max as well. But with Ferrari, I think Jeremy Clarkson put it very well. The day you actually want to drive a, your road car Ferrari, it's often punctured. And you don't want to do that every single day. So it's, it's just a piece of art, a piece of beauty. And consistency from beauty is, is never quite there. But, I don't know, maybe it's just them trying to live up to their road car image, perhaps, keeping up the marketing strategy. Poor jokes aside, let's talk about Carlos Sainz, because his race was very, very interesting. And strategy, Kunal, I know we consistently have been rambling on about indecision at Ferrari. And I think David Croft put it best on the Sky broadcast, when he just said that Ferrari, they've forgotten to look at the screens when instructing Carlos Sainz went to pit, because he was right in the midst of a crazy battle with Sergio Perez. So that's error number one. But some might say boxing him in the first place was error number two. Now, I don't agree with this because it seemed like his thighs were absolutely gone. Yes, the performance was coming back in. But it was unlikely that it would be there till the end of the race, considering how tricky the conditions were. But was it a defeatist policy, as many have been calling it? Or do you think it was more safe from Ferrari's point of view to accept what they had, that is?
1: Well, their biggest mistake, even more... Then what the two mistakes you listed out Samuel. Their biggest mistake for me was when they actually misunderstood Carlos's penalty. I can I couldn't believe my years that I actually heard that. <laughs> I mean, Carlos Sainz is reminding me of Sebastian Vettel at Ferrari. You know, they are they were you know, these two drivers keep engineering their race at Ferrari while still racing that Ferrari and Go back, 15 seconds, press the button, hear what I said. But they are race engineers just as much as they are race drivers at Ferrari. And uh, Carlos Sainz, he he was very sure that he could have gone from the back of the grid to the podium had they executed a clean race. And the clean race execution would have also meant cleaner pit stops, which they didn't have, and then a very, very clean uh, pit stop release, which was eventually the five-second stop-go penalty that they had, at least if you ask Ferrari, they still thought it was a stop go penalty when it was actually just a five-second time penalty Sample.
0: It reminds me of uh, Johnny English and his agent, not not agent, but his assistant boff, where Johnny English very confidently comes up with one particular statement and boff has to remind him, "Uh, no, sir, I'm sorry, I, I think you're wrong about that, but except it's the driver here doing it to the race engineers. It's crazy how it went out, but you've got to give him credit for the way he's driven so far this weekend. I mean, incredible in qualifying, incredible in practice. Not that that counts, but he showed that pace in the race as well, which makes Carlos Sainz one of my eight sleep performers of the weekend. But at the end of the day, had it not been for that missed time VSC, you kind of get a feeling that it could have been third. No, do you kind of agree with the same statement, Gunal? Maybe they had more pace to go to second? You
1: know, I I never believe that a safety car or a virtual safety car is mistimed it just comes out when it has to you know a lot of times and ferrari specifically i've said this before that oh the safety car came out at the wrong time well yes they are of course expressing it emotionally but race control doesn't decide huh charles has just crossed the pit exit why don't i just pit entry sorry why don't i release the safety car now and boom they press the safety car no guys they don't actually do that right but You spoke of Carlos Sainz in qualifying. His lap in Q2 was out of nowhere. So much that Helmut Marko has gone and made a statement saying if they actually make a lap like that in qualifying, then Red Bull are in trouble because he was one second clear of the entire field out there. But in all honesty, you know, I was just reading the tire performance out here. Pierre Gasly did 35 laps on the medium tire and he finished... 11th right so Ferrari were in my view right to pit Carlos Sainz because he was engaged in battle with much faster cars right and had it not been for the penalty that he actually faced maybe they would have decided differently because what would have happened is he would have needed to finish ahead of those cars and then still have a five second buffer and had he not had the five second buffer and if he was anyway going to finish fifth why not just take newer tires and then secure fifth place and see if something else opens up later on? I mean, imagine if there was a safety car in the last two, three laps of the race. Carlos Sainz would have been in a fantastic position to gain more position. So I think what Ferrari did at that time was probably right it was safe to just bank in all those points that they could but yes i i have spoken to a few engineers who of course uh believed that they would have just kept uh you know signs uh, out and kept the podium position because russell and perez were anyway fighting so either way it's done but that's what ferrari believes and carlos signs believes that they did the right thing obviously now, it's true that you only criticize
0: things very deeply if you genuinely love them. And you can tell that I'm a big Ferrari fan. But uh, the indif- uh, the indecision, I'm sorry, was a bit alarming. Uh, somewhat similar to what we saw at the British GP when Ferrari were confused about what strategy they should pick between Leclerc and Sainz. Over here, I, I just got a feeling, again, everyone is a better race strategist than those at the circuit. It- it's common knowledge. right? We all know about that. But perhaps if Ferrari had decided to bring Carlos Sainz in a lap or two earlier because they, they were they were a bit confused because Sainz said he wanted a pit, Ferrari said we were calculating. If anything, an earlier stop would have kind of helped out a little bit more because then you would have had more laps to claw the gap back in. But at the end, we saw that it was a bit, bit too big and it didn't really matter at the end. But yeah, perhaps that indecision, not, it doesn't really help out with the way things are going. But one point you spoke about, Kunal, was... Race control deciding a good time for VSC to get over or to begin. Now, you rightly mentioned, there's no good time for a VSC, but there is a bad time or or rather a bad way to receive the news that VSC has ended because that is exactly what happened with Sergio Perez. And my word, that... And had that happened for the lead of the race, had Sergio Perez been P1 and Russell been P2, and Perez had been caught napping, at, at least on the first impression, and then it turned out that it was a VSC notice glitch on his steering wheel that caused him to win. We would have been going bonkers, but it's only third, so we're not as mad about it. But generally, we should be talking more about that because this, in a way, I mean, it feels like Red Bull have been very, very hard done. It's only three points, but still.
1: Well, it's only third and it's only Perez. If it was third and Max Verstappen, maybe there would have been more noise about it, in all seriousness. But no, I think you're right. The issue that you know Christian Horner spoke of, there was a software issue at race control. And that's why that there was this whole discrepancy in when it actually ended. Because Sergio Perez said that he was given information; information it would end between turns 9 and 12 and that he was just looking out for it. But eventually, it ended closer to t- turn 14. So what happened is he actually picked up pace only to realize that uh, he had crossed the delta. So he had to slow down. And that's where, you know, you know, uh, George Russell got the jump on him. But this is what a second time that Checo Perez has had an issue that race control has taken over some parts of his race, I believe, uh, in Austria, it was down to track limits, um, you know, half a millimeter or something that happened. But either way, my point is that such incidents shouldn't happen. These just paint you know a darker shade on what the fia have been doing i mean you remember monaco of last month or was it two months ago now uh, they couldn't get the race started because apparently there were major uh, fights and you know h- debates and heated debates going on at risk control about whether or not to start the race in the wet conditions there were or not or what so in my view Checo Perez was just undone. And he was, you know, he's also being undone by Red Bull and the way they're developing their car, which is now going closer to how Max Verstappen prefers it, which is where Perez is actually further away from Max. And this whole conversation around, hey, Perez versus Max for the Drivers' Championship it's probably never going to return this season.
0: Or ever, because now they're going to stick with this car concept, it seems like, for the next few years. I remember this comic made by... uh I think it was the, the the Lollipop Man F1 comics was actually pretty famous uh, all the way on social media, where after 2021, after, of course, Sergio Perez helping Max Verstappen out, Sergio was like, great, Max, I'm so, so glad that you did this. I'm proud of you, but you're going to help me next year, right? Right. And there's no response. And it certainly seems that way. But yeah, it, it really was ought to see what happened because we all thought that Sergio Perez was caught napping but how could it be possibly so sharp so astute while racing but Russell might disagree with that because of that incident that happened at the scene chicane or, or the mistral straight chicane it's not the scene chicane the scene corner is the one after that but yeah that that incident over there canal now everyone's talking about it apart from race control that is because they straight away said no we're not going to discuss it it's a fair incident but if you go by the, the doctrine that's been laid out by race control—it it says that it, it needs to be. I think the front end of the car ahead of the rear end of the car that you are attacking, and Russell certainly did that. It's clear that Russell was—it was going to be on the route of not making the corner perfectly. It's not the right racing line, certainly, but by the word of the rule, he was ahead, and he could have gotten that corner in place. So. What do you think about FIA not giving that place back? And and it's certainly clear that Sergio Perez didn't quite relent any advantage because, of course, he let Carlos Sainz by, but there's still around a second and a half of a difference between him and Russell after he let Carlos Sainz go past. So, again, was Russell hard done by at the end?
1: Of course, it doesn't matter now, but still.
0: You
1: know we are being hard done by formula 1 ferrari and fia if i was to say i mean ferrari is taking away all leclerc versus verstappen battles that we want to see fia are taking away from this whole consistency that we wish to see in race uh, racing approach in my mind i think the other way around i think perez just did not have space to make that corner now unfortunately that's what happens uh, when it's uh, you know it's a left right chicane because like you said you know Russell was found finding himself on the inside. He turned in. But, hey, you know, the the corner that he came to, which was the right-hander after that, there was literally no space for Checo Perez to to make the corner. So it could be argued either way. And at the end of the day, I just take it for what it is at that moment because, hey, I'm not racing. Uh, I'm not the one who's disadvantaged or not. But, yes, all of this, including track limits, including – you know, uh, I hope that there is uh, light at the end of the tunnel because, you know, Mick Schumacher in qualifying, he put up a fantastic lap in Q1 to go P10. And then he said he was probably one or two millimeters off. He said, yes, that's the ruling right now. And I accept it. I appreciate, you know, how he was funny in his Instagram post as well, where he said track limits one, MSC zero. But he said, At the end of the day, in Formula One, we shouldn't be debating and discussing track limits down to that much of a margin because he said when you're on a quick lap and you guys know the rest of it. But yeah, track limits, Samuel.
0: I I like it. I like it. I like it because I'm not a racing driver. I like it because I can just sit back from the outside and say that, yeah, it's a black and white rule and all rules should be black and white and things are great. But uh, I suppose it depends on who you are and and what position you watch the race from. Because seriously, if you're racing in it, I I kind of get their point as well because it's so hard to see out of the Formula One car. It's so hard to judge where your front wing is or where your left tyre is. And so to actually tell if you've crossed the line or not, especially in a corner like Turn 10 in Austria, which was the major point of contention last week, But if anything, what else can you do, right? You can't have a moving goalpost. Fair enough, white line is what it is. And I think the FIA were doing a decent job at policing that all the way through. If anything, I was just slightly sad that they didn't show all the warnings this weekend because we just heard some drivers getting two warnings and then that was conveyed by the team radio. And just the fun of getting all those messages on the broadcast immediately was kind of interesting because you were always on your toes thinking, oh, well, Another mistake, and certain driver could have a penalty or something quite like that. So that was interesting, but in general, uh, very consistent, very great, just like Max Verstappen, Kanal. The way these guys are pushing ahead, I never would have thought that Red Bull would not even make a single mistake, and I and that that kind of buffer of making one big mistake per season is still in their bag halfway through. So that's that's kind of incredible the way Ferrari are doing now. Red Bull are racing this moment.
1: Max Verstappen. Had a super chilled Sunday drive. These are not my words. These are words of Lewis Hamilton. He said, "I was really pushing behind him, and Max was having a super chilled Sunday drive, and that's what he did." You know, uh, he he was, of course, at the start chasing down Charles Leclerc. Like I said, hats off to both of them for not succumbing to pressure in that he in the heat of that battle. But I think uh, you know, the minute uh, Charles went off. And he was told that Charles is doing okay. I believe he just said, you know what, let me just bank in the points I can. And uh, a couple of people I spoke to were surprised that he didn't go for the fastest lap of the race point. But I guess that would have been impossible to uh, battle, uh, you know, especially with signs on what 10 or 8 or 10 or 11 lap uh, old uh, rubber as compared to Verstappen with 37 lap old, hard tires. So to me, Max Verstappen, this was one of the easiest moves, uh, easiest races he's had since the last easy race he had after Charles Leclerc uh, and Ferrari had a retirement or a driver era. I believe Azerbaijan is something that comes to my mind. Spain is what comes to my mind. And, you know, F1 stats guru, he's not there on this show, but his stats are very much with us. Red Bull Racing are now on an 11 race streak of podiums their best streak since 2013. And you already read out the most important stat, that Verstappen overturned a gap of 46 points and that no driver has ever overcome a deficit bigger than 44 points. So that's pretty incredible, right? I wish I could have that sort of ability to
0: constantly be there at the top uh, in my college lectures because that way I wouldn't have to sit for every single one of them but I would get attendance for every one because whenever you ask oh well Max Verstappen top performance present sir always he's never ever off the mark it's incredible but it seems like Mercedes aren't getting to the mark because this weekend if you look at it on paper it's their best result of the season isn't it second and third uh, they of course scored the most points that they possibly could have. And it seemed like they are on the right direction. But we know after watching the race that there's still still a little bit of things to kind of work out for them. Maybe just a half a tenth here or there. But encouraging Science Kunal, not perfect, but it's a step in the right direction. And I certainly think that if Ferrari continue on their tirade of self-destruction... Mercedes could actually end up getting second if, if of course it turns out to be extremely destructive. At this moment, it seems unlikely, but if if they go all guns blazing and sort of hampering their own season, Ferrari, that is, Mercedes could right be there because they scored the most points
1: that they possibly could in this season. They've they've never really dropped any per se. Now that's a that's a very bold thing to say, but yes, it could be possible. Like you said, you know. Uh, Ferrari are closer to Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship than they are to, to Ferrari. And likewise, Leclerc is closer to Perez. I think seven points is the gap than he is, of course, to Max Verstappen. So let's see where that goes. But, you know, in my view, Mercedes got their best result of the season ever. Double podium, all of those things. You know, Lewis is fourth podium on a streak. First time that a Mercedes car finished second. Great stuff. But in all honesty, and this is where I'm going to quote Toto Wolff, he said we have a we have a fantastic racing car. We need to improve our qualifying car because in qualifying there was almost 9 tenths separating Leclerc and Hamilton and that is madness. And even if you were to take away the couple of tenths that Leclerc got with the tow from Carlos Sainz, It is still seven-tenths in qualifying at a track that is supposed to suit Mercedes. So to me, great result, but not great performance from the reigning world constructors, champions. And I'm just interested to see what and which race next will they actually be back in the fight, if at all, in, in 2022. And one more thing about Mercedes, you know, with the upgrades that McLaren brought this weekend, Mercedes now are the only team on this, you know, different side pod configuration, right? And they believe that they're going to continue going down this road. And I think that's a very smart thing to do because whether they switch or not, they don't believe it's going to affect their competitiveness. So, hey, I'd rather try something new and finish third than go back to knowing what we already know and still finishing third. So, let's just see how these zero pods and, you know, eventually develop. I'm so curious because we all
0: know that there's a good car in there, but the question is when. And you really can't fault the drivers for what they're doing so far this year. They're pushing extremely hard and their performances have been incredible. Russell may be a bit too hard this weekend, as we've discussed, of course, and that ruling uh, going in the favour of Sergio Perez eventually at the end. But the the, the point is, they are pushing that team hard and Mercedes in the back end also they are developing a few upgrades here and there that seem like they're working in the right direction but it's a bit too much of a gap to bridge right now so it's hard to tell when they'll be back in there so it's just a waiting game for all of us right now just as it is for all the drivers but it was also fun to listen to Toto wolf come on the radio to calm russell down because he was actually uh doing what many might call or facing what many might call the hamilton syndrome complaining on the radio in the midst of a battle and so The old wise head of Toto was coming to calm matters down. That was also interesting. Not once, not twice. I think thrice he was on the radio, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton is now on a four-race streak of finishing ahead of George Russell. Of course, at Silverstone, George Russell did not finish. But that still Mm -hmm. counts as finishing ahead of George Russell, in my view. So it was his 300th race. He came second. He actually said, I was so grateful that I came second. He had a drinks bottle issue. So he actually did not drink throughout the French Grand Prix. And he said, you know, typically I do not drink water. But the one race I actually wanted to drink water, it did not work for me. But yes, overall, like I said, you know, good uh, result, not the greatest of performances overall when you consider mercedes Samul.
0: Indeed, yes. But talking about good performances, we just have to talk about Fernando Alonso. Perpetually there at the top of the midfield. P6 for him. Esteban Ocon comes home in eighth in his home race. That's a total of 12 points for Alpine this weekend. But, canal, interestingly enough, as you rightly mentioned, McLaren are on their way as well. They've got new upgrades. Things look brighter. And in this particular weekend, Norris wasn't quite there for sure. But Ricciaro was definitely able to match it up a little bit here and there with the likes of Esteban Ocon. So I just get a feeling that this Alpine solo run has been derailed for the better for all of us because we now get to see Fernando Alonso fighting with a representative car apart from his teammate. And that is always a fun recipe for entertainment. I mean, who doesn't like it?
1: Yeah, he made a great start. He was, you know, all the way up to P5 till everybody else took their positions ahead of him. And I loved Alonso... I mean, I've said this every race. It was Alpine's home race. So, you know, Alonso was extra charged as well. But all in all, I loved how he was like, yeah, yeah, let the McLarens come closer to me. I want them to kill their tires. So again, just so much of, presence of mind, which pretty much every driver shows, but we just appreciate it a little more when it comes to drivers like Sainz or Alonso or or Sebastian Vettel or the like, Sommel, But another team which I was really hoping a lot more from was Haas because Kevin Magnussen could get in all the way up to Q3, but then he had the penalty and then Mick Schumacher, again, a very quick lap and qualifying was taken away. Apparently, it seems that they had very high degradation which is why they were one of the first teams to beat. Their mediums were shot within the first eight or nine laps of the race, which is why they actually came in. So they were literally going to be committing to a two stopper, come what may. And now uh, the other team that we should talk about, Sommel and uh, you know, Alpha Romeo, uh, Bottas is now on his worst pointless streak of three races since his rookie season in two thousand and 13. Wow. Thank you, Mr. F on Stats Guru.
0: I know Bottas won't be thanking him for that particular number. Absurd how things have gone about. And it's just a bad turn of events for Alfa Romeo because the pace also seemed to be lacking. They seem to be back in 2021 mode, unfortunately, so far this weekend. And we also had Zhou Guan Yu involved in that crazy accident with Mick Schumacher towards the end of the race as well. So things are just not going in their direction anywhere. So, I don't know what's it, what what it's going to be all about. With Haas, we can certainly tell that the pace could potentially be on the rise because it's going to be the end of Haas's upgrade-less run because they're going to get upgrades next weekend in Hungary. And we should talk about that later in the Hungary GP preview. But with Alfa Romeo Canal, I just don't know. Do they have more upgrades coming in? There's no word from them. There's no excitement or buzz about that. It just seems to be a bit of a slump. And not just in fortunes, but also in pace, it seems like, this weekend. So... Could be a rocky ride ahead as we head towards Hungary and towards the later part of the season But I just can't believe we're halfway through. This battle is just really uh, edging towards Verstappen. But I, I just saw so feeling that the second half, it could be a little bit better. But about this whole weekend, if you have to sum it up,
1: what would you use to describe it? One word if you had to. Lacking. That's the word I would use to describe this weekend for... Everything that we spoke about in the last 30-odd minutes, I don't need to really sum it up, do I?
0: (laughs) Fair enough. But I hope that this episode wasn't lacking in quality and wasn't lacking in the points that you wanted to hear about. And if it wasn't, folks, you know exactly what to do. Subscribe to the Inside Line F1 podcast. Share this particular episode with all your friends and family members who love Formula 1. And don't forget to tune in. No, wait. You can't tune into a digital episode, can you? So don't forget to log in. that doesn't make any sense. Don't forget to be here next time on Thursday when we record the Hungarian GP preview coming up very, very soon. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. See you, folks. Bye-bye.